Well, good morning, church. Open to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. I want to make sure that you have an outline. You just don't flip open the book of Jonah. You don't just dive into any book, for that matter, without understanding a little bit of context. Because if you just are cherry-picking and, and opening up uh, any passage of the Bible without understanding, like, where are we and what's going on and who is who, it's going to be unhelpful to you in any book, in any study that you do. So we're pretty fired up about a little bit of context. Everybody say context. Here we go. Context. So what we want to think about is the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, we, we, we could be asking questions about what's the theme of the book of Jonah. I got a good idea of who one of the characters in the book of Jonah is. His name is? See, you're already way ahead of some. I don't know. Maybe the person in, in your row is like, I didn't know that. I did not know that. All right, so you're already way ahead, but, but here's a couple things to think about. Is, is the book of Jonah primarily about, about a, a, a big fish? Well, the, this fish shows up four times in the book of Jonah. Everybody say, that's not the theme. It's not. It's not. We've we got to go a little bit deeper. Uh, in 48 verses, the prophet Jonah, he's not here to tell us about big fish. Is he, he going to tell us a little bit more about uh, this, this city, this metroplex called Nineveh? That, that had maybe millions of people. Uh, it's thought huge in its day. Uh, is, is the book primarily about, like, Nineveh needs God, man. They need a revival. The book is about Nineveh. And you would conclude properly if you said, no, no, the, the book's not about Nineveh either. Nineveh's mentioned uh, eight times. We, we have a few more. We have, uh, how about Jonah himself? Is the book primarily focused on getting to know this character Jonah and, and how we are like him or not like him? No, actually, even though Jonah is mentioned 18 times in the book named after him, the book is not primarily about Jonah. Do you know who this book is all about? I'll give you one guess. Even the Sunday school answer might, might work in this case, right? It's all about God, and primarily it is pointing many fingers to the future of Jesus the Messiah who will come and who will rescue. But God is mentioned, here, hear this, 48 verses, God's mentioned 38 times. Everybody say that's a lot. It's a lot of times to, to be pointing to who's the main character, right? Who's the main character in all of the Bible? Who's the main character in the book of Jonah? It's all about God. It's all about God. It's all about God. The problem is when we make Christianity about us, when we make the Bible about us, when we make our lives about us, that's a problem. Turn your neighbor and say that's a problem. Let them know that, that's a problem. That's where we get in trouble that's the downfall. And here we have our God, our God portrayed as a loving, as a passionately patient God, as one that carefully pursues. And when God lays his hand on your life, everything changes. And we want to know this God. We want to go deeper in understanding who this God is. And we get to see God's love, God's power, God's grace, God's mercy on display. Rebellion is not ignorance. Rebellion, as we're going to see in Jonah, is not well, I didn't know that. I, did, I wasn't raised in church. I didn't have any Sunday school. I, I didn't read the Bible at all. And maybe for some of us as adults, we're like, I don't have familiarity with these things. Rebellion is not ignorance. Not, not that I, I don't know and I need to know and I need to learn. That's not rebellion. Rebellion is not even, I'm really, really discouraged and I'm finding myself wandering and drifting and straying from God. That's not rebellion. We're talking about, I know what God says. 
I know what he's calling me to do, and I'm not gonna do it. You know what? I'll consider it. I'll think about it. But the reality is, deep down in my heart, I'm going, yeah, wah, 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 preacher. I open my Bible and go, ugh, yawn. I, I know what it says. I have information in my heart saying, my way. I don't want your way, God. I'm thinking about what you're calling me to. Kill joy. And it's no fun. And it's not satisfying. And it's stop doing And guess what? My life's about doing. And so I know what God says. The problem is my heart is hard. I'm a rebel. And for some of us, we might not even classify ourselves as a rebel. Where in my life is there rebellion? Where in my life is there, I know what it says, but it's just so hard and I don't have time and I don't want to do it. We could leave different. We could leave here saying, God, I surrender. God, yes, I will. God, today's the day. I'm not making excuses. I'm not going to turn my back anymore. I'm going to fall at your feet. I'm going to worship. I'm going to give everything to you. My life is yours. That could happen today. This book starts where all of us should start with the question, do I have the heart of God? And your answer might be a little, but there's work to be done. I think that would be all of us. God, I want to know your heart. And am I there? No, there's work to be done. Number one, as you're taking notes, do you have God's compassionate heart? Do you have God's compassionate heart? Let's just look at the first three verses. Jonah chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, get up, get up, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their evil, their wickedness has come up before me. Just to pause, uh, Jonah being a prophet, one of, of many prophets that we know about, and there, there's an apparent crisis because how bad does a city have to be for literally the image of it, it's come up to me is a nasty, filthy stink, right, in the nostrils of God, and it's so potent, and the evil was so bad that God's like, I have to do something about this. And when it says a great city, it's not talking about the city was like awesome, primo. It's saying great as in size. We're not talking about a backwoods town. We're talking about possibly millions of people, which was probably the the largest city uh, in Assyria at at the time. So we're talking like the highest population, the most people gathered are doing the most evil, okay? And, And if you were God, how would you respond? Like, Almost every single person in this city has turned their back on God, rejected God, or has no interest in knowing the true God and is worshiping false gods, and they're happy about it. They love it. They don't mind doing whatever they want to whoever they want, and you're God. What do you do? You say, boop, done, goodbye. I'll like pull out the eraser. That instead what happens? He's got Jonah on speed dial, and he's saying, assignment time. I have a plan, and it does not involve destroying them it involves showing mercy and showing grace this is powerful this is powerful what an interesting way to say get up go to Nineveh and I have seen what's happening something is arising the evil and how wicked how wicked for so many the response I just wrote down grace 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 everybody say grace that that's the response that's the response of God would that be your response How about wrath? How about judgment? Grace, grace. Jonah didn't want to go 
why. We're, we're going to find out about this character of, of Jonah. Jonah hated the Ninevites. And not just like, I dislike that particular, some, some of you loathe certain sports teams, right? So it's like, I just can't stand anybody wearing that logo. I can't stand them cheering for that, that team. Some of us have great passions of who we're for and especially who we're against. And here we have Jonah. Guess what? He didn't have just like a strong dislike for a particular city or people group. He despised them. Why? The Ninevites were known for being less uh, than helpful to Israel and God's people. In fact, talking a whole history of battles and wars, and usually when the Ninevites got their hands on their enemy, there, there were a few that they would bring home uh, with them, but enemies that are taken prisoner of war, we're talking about lampshades made of body parts. We're talking about them building uh, dog houses out back with the bones of their enemies. They're talking about stripping their enemies out in the public square and ripping their skin off piece by piece to show we are the gods around here. We own everyone. We own people. And so do you think uh, Jonah might have a little bit of an attitude that they did that to our people? They did that to God's people. And you want me to do, you want me to do what? I want you to go I want you to speak to them. I want you to speak up with a compassionate heart. He did not want to go. I, but was it, was it because he didn't know what was expected? I, I think it was pretty clear. God's step one and step two. All right, you ready for it? God's step one, go. Like a parent to a child. What part of go don't you understand? Go. I, I think he got that part. It was crystal clear, right? And go and do what? Tell them they're about to burn and that he's running for, for cover. No. When you're there, tell them mercy is coming their way. Let them know the good news. Hear this, hear this. The message that you bring produces one of two responses, either transformation or rejection. We have good news. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, you have good news. You've received good news. Everywhere you go, there's really one of two responses. As you go, as you speak up, you are going to be rejected or you are going to watch God transform a life. Do you get to choose? You get to choose your obedience to say yes and go and speak up. You don't get to choose the outcome, right? You don't get to choose how people respond to the good news. But Jonah's at a crossroads here of, I don't care about being rejected. I don't want there to be transformation. I don't want them to go into a place of repentance where they are going to be saved, where they're going to be now shown compassion. And do you have God's compassionate heart or Jonah's rebellious heart? We do have point A is where his starting point is. And where is God telling him to go? A little up and a little over, okay? If you go from point A to point B on the map on the right side, you're going to see Nineveh's not all that far. The problem is, what direction did he go? Did he not go far enough? Did he, did he take a little bit of a wrong turn? His heart, his passion was, I want to go as far away as possible from that city. I want to run for my life. I want to get away from God's plan. And I was just thinking, he goes not just west, okay, get this, but when he's heading to Tarshish, and we're assuming that Tarshish is on the southern coast of, of Spain, first of all, Spain was as far on the map that they knew of. To them, Spain was the end of the world. Like, they didn't know what was beyond that. And it was scary, whatever it was. So Spain's the end of the earth as they know it. Not only that, it's the, 
southern coast, which is the most, one of the most amazing places ever. So when I was 19 years old, I was able to go to Tarshish for a very different reason than a Bible tour, okay? I was in a Spanish class, and of course I wanted to learn more Spanish by spending two weeks in Spain on a nude beach in Costa del Sol. So Costa del Sol, the southern coast, uh, is where Tarshish is believed to be. Today, you don't want to go there um, to sightsee uh, biblical locations. Uh, people usually go there for very, very different reasons. Unbiblical reasons, we will. He heard, arise and go to Nineveh, call out the evil, and verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, paid for the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. In one verse, we have seven verbs, seven actions. Like how hard is it to run from God? It's exhausting. You have to get so creative and justify and cover up and make stories and lies and, and, and try to make sense and tell other people where you're at, why you're going, where you weren't, where you're supposed to be, where you really were at. Cover up. Conspiracy becomes your life. When you know better, when you know what God's calling you to do, it's exhausting to not do it. I mean, seven actions he takes in just one verse to say, no, 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 God. And what does it say? That he's not just running from Nineveh. Who's he running from? He's running from the presence of the Lord. He didn't just despise a people. He didn't just reject an assignment. That's too hard. It's too much. It's way above my pay grade. His ultimate heart level was, God, I need to get away from you. Because if you're calling me to do something that is this difficult, you're not good. You don't know what you're doing. You're clearly not a good God displaying justice. You, you're, you're tricking me somehow. You're, you're duping me into a mission that is absolutely insane. And for some of us, just even the call to follow Jesus, it's like, I know what that's all about. I'm going to have to give up and I can't anymore. And like, I'm not going down that path. And how hard have you worked over the years to say no to God in a thousand creative ways? How far have you traveled to say, no, this is okay for me and this is right and God will understand and maybe later and not right now and it's too much, too hard or those hypocrites or I knew people that were really serious about Jesus and I'm not going to be like them and I have so much going on and God will clearly bless the priorities of my life because they're good things, right? And I have no margin and it's just way too much and the calling is just way too heavy and I know what I'll have to give up and the excuses and the excuses and the excuses and how hard. It's so difficult to say no to God. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And so he goes down to Joppa, a completely different culture. By that point, he should be looking around and saying, as a follower of God, I should not be in a place like this. Joppa was not a great place. As a follower of Jesus, I wonder if you've ever been in places where you're like, how did I end up hanging out with these people that God is saying I need to witness to, I need to speak the truth to, I need to love, and instead I'm just participating in what they're doing. I'm in a place that I shouldn't be because I'm running away. By the point of the port city, he should have known this is not where I belong. This is not where I should be. And what does it say? He went down to Joppa, he found a ship. Of course he found a ship. I mean, think about that. If you're looking for a way out, you're going to go, 
well, look how beautifully all my plans worked. And I mean, like I barely had to do any finger lifting. All I had to say was, one ticket to not Nineveh, please. Right? I mean, that's, that's not hard. And, and how much in Jonah's mind he would have said, well, and I even got a discount on the ticket. And they said that there was going to be like snacks along the way. And that was just like, that was free, right? I mean, clearly God's okay with this because he's paving the way forward for my plans, right? If God really wanted to stop me, I mean, he would have stopped me. There must be some kind of a stamp of approval of my plans. Have you been in a place? I've been in a place where I can justify, well, but I mean, this just feels so right. And clearly God's in this because otherwise I would feel bad about this. And I mean, why is everything working out in my life? It seems like like things are actually going really well at home and at work, and it seems so smooth. Do you believe that Satan can pave a way forward? Do you believe that Satan can bring ease to your plans? Do you believe that it's beneficial for the demonic forces to make it as efficient as possible to get away from God? Should we be careful to say, clearly God's in this, clearly God is approving of this because it's just all coming together. Just all the pieces are coming together. And all the pieces could come together with a path paved to hell is the reality. How hard is it for us to work diligently to make excuses, to justify our actions? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. He found the ship. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. Of course he paid the fare. That was, that was the easiest payment of his life. Get me out of here. Uh, I wrote down, when you, when you go God's way, God pays the fare. When you go your way, you pay the fare. Is God clearly providing and showing up in ways because you are saying yes to him or are you paying your way straight away from him? When you run from God's will, you're running from his presence. Jonah knew in his head the truth, but his heart that was hardened was going to have its way. He knew that he couldn't run from God. He wasn't ignorant. For some of us, we just don't know, right? I didn't know the Bible said that. I didn't know that God said that. For others of us, it's not an intellectual thing. It's not a learning thing. It's not an absence of knowledge thing. It's, I know but, I know but, I know but. And Jonah's in this place of, I know I can't escape. Did that stop his feet from going? Did that stop his hands from reaching out and paying the fare? Did that stop him from running as fast as he could the opposite direction from God. He knew the truth. He knew the truth, but yet he went, and he went fast. We would never call it running from God when we actually are running from God. We, we don't call it that, right? We look at a book like Jonah and go, well, Jonah, now that's a guy that wasn't just subtly running from God. Like, he made it known that he was going away from the presence of the Lord and did not care. And in our day, what does that look like? I mean, what does that look like? If somebody asked you, are you running from God? Me? I run from God in such subtle, creative ways that it looks like I leave the church because I already left God. Long before I say, I'm done with this whole Christianity thing and I'm done with the church, uh, I ran from the presence of God long before. When I say, she just wasn't the one, he just wasn't the one, I left the presence of God long before I made the decision to say, I'm out of here. Before I leave job after job after job or it gets too hard and I get away, I, I left the presence of God long 
before that. It shows up in a lot of creative ways. When I say I need to escape reality just for 15 minutes at a time, it's not a problem because it's, it doesn't have many drop bomb F words in it in this series on Netflix and therefore uh, it's only three hours that turn into four that turn into five and all of a sudden now it's not the object of my escape. It's the fact that I'm escaping subtly in my life and it can fly under the radar. Maybe you're not hopping on a ship, right? Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe that's not, I need to get as far away from God as possible, but I make a thousand little decisions every day to say, not right now, God. Not, I, I just, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't want to think about it. Or that's way too hard. So I, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to get my mind preoccupied or my body preoccupied, or I'm going to find something new, or I'm going to, I don't know what your list is, but here's the hard reality. The title of the series is not, that's Jonah. The title of the series is very intentional because every page reveals this. I am Jonah. I'm Jonah. Every single day, that was a Jonah move. That was a get me out of here. That was a I know God, but. And on every page of this short book, I don't know if that's going to be your experience, but my experience is I'm Jonah. I'm not a Ninevite. I'm not, I'm Jonah. I know better. I know what God expects. I know what he's calling me to. But right now, I'm not doing it. I am Jonah. I am Jonah. Why do I run from God? Why do I run from God? Number one, because I don't share God's sensitivity to sin. I don't share God's sensitivity to sin. The hard-heartedness that can, that can happen over weeks and then months and then soon it's years. God is calling us to walk with Him in a way that is intimate, close, sensitive, proximity, where I'm quick to say yes. I'm quick to hear His voice and do it. And the reality is, I run from God because I don't share God's sensitivity to sin. I don't see it as sin. I make excuses. I justify. Number two, I don't own commitment to God's plan. As we see in Jonah, here's the mission. I'm calling you. I'm choosing you, and I need you to go. And it's like, not me. Uh, I, you got the wrong address. You got the wrong number. It's not me. How about somebody else go? In fact, how about nobody go? Right? And in Jonah's case, there was no ownership. He was a prophet. He had the title, right? He had the, uh, he, he went through all of the, the prophet classes, right? Got certified, got his degrees. He's a badge-wearing prophet, and yet uh, I'm not owning the mission. I'm not doing what I'm called to do. Is that us? How about this? I don't embrace God's uncomfortable grace. And what do we mean by that? God is gracious enough to make you uncomfortable as he was Jonah. The call on Jonah's life was one for him to not be comfortable with the calling, not to be really confident, right, in what he's called to, but instead to rub him the wrong way in every way, right? His, his call was a sandpaper call, and it was intended not to just irritate him, but to refine him. That's uncomfortable grace. And you know what that is? That's the goodness of God to make you uncomfortable with sin, rebellion, apathy. Would God be love if he allowed you to get your get-out-of-hell-free card and then fall asleep on him the rest of your life? Would God be a God of love if he allowed you to live just like the world, have the world's values, and have no distinction of being his and overlook that? Would God be a God of love? Would that be gracious? 
I mean, think about the power of grace is not just cool water on a hot day. The power of grace is sometimes a buzzsaw to cut off dead ends. When he gets on the ship, God's like, the story ain't over yet. We're just getting warmed up here, buddy. Number two, do I know God's uncomfortable grace? Not just to think about it, but do I know it? Have I experienced it? Am I experiencing it? Verse four, (laughs) what does God do? But God hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea. What, what, do you, what, do you think, what do you think Jonah's response was? What a coincidence. This is just so weird that there would be like a violent storm right now, yawn, and he ended up going to bed. How hard-hearted do you have to be even when God is chasing you down that you're like, I don't know. I don't know what that was all about. It was about you. It was about he's coming after you. He's pursuing you, and you don't even see it. His hand is on you. He is speaking to you. He is revealing things that you're supposed to see clearly. He's calling you to come home. And you're like, I don't know why these things are happening around me. Bad luck. Unfortunate season. How about a passionate, pursuing God? Wake up call and still it's, oh, that's weird. I think to myself, God, why would you put up with with Jonah? And I remember, I'm Jonah. I'm Jonah. I'm like that. I'm like that. God, you had some options. He gets on the ship, and your response easily, easily could have been, good riddance. That, that frees up some payroll, right? Got a little bit more margin to work with. I mean, that guy, he, he was so underperforming as a prophet anyway. I mean, we need to call somebody in, right? From double from A, AA, AAA. We need, we need to find somebody that's got some promising future because right now, this guy blew it big time. I thought he was the guy. Wasn't he like a number one draft pick and then all of a sudden just bombed? Next, next. I, I think that would be most of our responses instead. Jonah, I'm coming after you. And what does grace look like when grace was coming Jonah's way? It looked like this. It looked like a great wind. Literally, you're talking about like tsunami on the warpath towards his ship. I'm so blown away. If God is so strategic to pursue us in such a specific laser targeted way, I just imagine on the open seas in the Mediterranean, I mean, you've got like cruise ships, you know what I mean? Just like floating, people floating by. You got people water skiing, you got martinis, you know, people laid back. And then all of a sudden, everybody is woken up because there's this like streamline, like ball down the bowling alley of a tsunami headed straight. And they're like, we've never seen that before. Why is it headed towards that particular ship over there? And they're like, what was that all about? Eh. Because when God is going after his man, his woman, he knows where they're at, how to get to them. Grace is pursuing on the hunt. I love it. God hurled. He hurled like the, the biggest, best snowball ever. For some of us, like I just want to see a snowball right for him. Hurled. God hurled the storm. You don't think you can trust me? I haven't given you enough, Jonah. I, I didn't make my instructions clear. I didn't show you mercy and grace. Where, where are you going? He threw the storm. And all around, people were just fine. <laughs> Relaxing, living their life. But Jonah being on the run, he was being pursued. We set out in the opposite direction and God sends a storm our way. And if we would just settle on this, the storm is grace. 
The storm is grace. The storm is not an interruption. The storm isn't necessarily Satan's tactics. The storm in your life, the storm that is coming after you, the the amount of times, maybe over these past months, over these past years, where you're like, why does this keep happening? And why is it going so poorly for me? And why is this so hard? And have we ever thought, instead of rebuking Satan, that we would actually stop the ship and look around and say, God, what are you calling me to? Where do you want me to go? Am I running? Am I running? Verse 5, the storm was so great, the seas were so huge that the ship was about to break up, like it was going to destroy the ship. Do you see that? Verse 5, the sailors became afraid. Literally, seasoned mariners uh, horrified. How is that possible? What did they do for a living? This isn't like their first time, right? Have you ever talked to a rodeo cowboy and he said, you know what? That horse, I mean, when it starts bucking, it's just like, I pee my pants a little bit. It's just like, I, I get a little nervous. It's like, what do you do again? Well, I'm a professional rodeo cowboy. You got a problem, bro, right? Isn't this what you do? Isn't this your, your world? You know things are bad when professional mariners are going, um, guys, we got to start throwing everything overboard. So we see as they became so afraid, they took action and they're tossing out all of the belongings. Was it their stuff? No, they're getting paid to haul this cargo. They were willing to get fired, probably have to repay everything that went overboard because they weren't surviving this thing. They're going, lose job and live, right? Or try to save our job and die. That's how bad the situation got. When God shows up, sometimes it's not just a gentle, quiet little whisper. Sometimes it's the verge of death. It's the verge of losing everything in your life, whatever it takes. And what did they say? Every man cried out to their own God. Uh, We could spend a lot of time considering where do you go when things get hard, crying out to not big G God, but little G gods. Where's my source of security? What's going to get me out of this? And we see the sailors here, and they're crying out to what they know, that their gods would save them. Today you have to ask, are you the sailor or are you Jonah? Because for some of us, we know much more than we obey. We know what we're supposed to do and we don't do it. But for some of us, the sailors were pagans. They, were, they didn't know the one true God. They're crying out to the gods they know because they've never submitted their life. They never surrendered their life to the one true God. So today we could ask, am I, am I Jonah or am I actually in the seat of the sailor that my life is going down and I don't know who God is? I haven't gotten right with him. People living in rebellion against God often do one thing. What did Jonah do? What did Jonah do? Well, from verse 6, we see this. The captain came, ran to Jonah. When you're a rebel, what are you doing? What It says, what do you mean? Like, what is happening? Give me some meaning to this chaos. What does he call him? Jonah, you, you sleeper, arise. Jonah's like, I've heard that before. Somebody just told me to arise, and I ran, and then I fell asleep, and I'm being called to wake up once again. He says, call out to your God. Call out to your God. Perhaps your God, this God, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. In middle of crisis, in middle of rebellion, everybody is suffering. Everybody around Jonah is suffering. And where is Jonah? He's asleep in the ship. Why? Because when you're a rebel, escape, whatever the hatch is, whatever the button is, you're hitting it. And one of the most convenient ways of 
God, I don't want to listen to you. La, 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 la. I'm going my own way. I'm doing my own thing. The longer I'm asleep, the less that I have to be awake to the promptings and the convictions and the calling of God telling me to head towards him, not away from him. And I don't know if that's where you're at. I know our, our world, COVID, brought on an onslaught of suddenly one of the greatest coping mechanisms in our world is, can I just, can I just fall asleep and like never wake up again until things are like back to normal? And every month and every year, it's like, not going back to normal. We're not returning to normal. Are you sleeping your rebellion away? I don't care if everybody else has to suffer. I don't care if everybody else has to pick up all the pieces. I'm going to be over here. I'm going to be busy escaping reality. Hopefully somebody can come bail me out. Hopefully somebody can do what I'm supposed to be doing. But sometimes sleep is, feels like the only relief for a rebellious person. Because as long as you're awake, you know God's pursuing you. Verse 6, so powerful. Wake up. You say you're a prophet, that you know the true God. Call on him. And here we go. Verses 7 through, I think we're only going to get through 15. All right? So let's absorb this chunk. They said to one another, come let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. At that point, they're like, what is happening to us? We need answers. This is not just an occasional storm. There's something purposeful here. They were aware that there was a God of some kind after them. So they cast lots. The lot fell on Jonah. Imagine that. Imagine that. I mean, it's such a coincidence, right? Is God in charge of even the finest, smallest, most mundane things? Verse 8, then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Tell us, tell us. Like, they're about to find, what's, what's your occupation? Where, where do you come from? Like, let's get clarity. We had some small talk, but like, this changes everything. Who are you? What country? Where are you from? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. I'm sure at that point they're like, <coughs> hypocrite. Uh, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. And then the men, were, they were exceedingly afraid. They said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. The pagan men knew he was running from the presence of the Lord. Like God's revealing things to people that are utterly lost about the spiritual reality of what's going on. They're seeing it. And all of a sudden we, we see that because he had, he had told them details a little bit, they're like, we need clarity about the rest of the story. This is starting to make sense. Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you? <laughs> we got to do something that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. I, I don't know what your million dollar word that you're walking around in, in your pocket, but if you're trying to memorize new words and incorporate it into uh, your, your daily regimen, tempestuous. There you go. You're welcome. See, the Bible's helpful for all kinds of things, right? Tempestuous, like nasty, horrible, wicked storm, right? Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me. Like God hurled this storm my way now hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me. It's because of me. Everybody say ownership. I have to come to terms with reality. It's nobody else's fault. It's not because of my past. It's not because of him. It's not because of her. I'm not right with God. It's because of me. I'm the problem. I need to get right. I need to take extreme ownership. This is the, this is the shift of the story. Okay? What happened next? Throw me in. It's because of me. 
Verse 13, nevertheless, the men, they rode hard. They're like, we're not going to have the blood of, uh, of man that we know is from God on our hands. We're not going to like kill you. They tried to row hard to get back to dry land, but they could not do it for the sea grew more and more. What's the word? Tempestuous. Yeah, there it is again. Against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. This is crazy. Someone even living in disobedience from God, surrounded with godless pagans, they called out to the Lord. They, they cried out in their time of need. Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. All right, we'll pick up later, but from here, consider this, consider this. We have a God that clearly demonstrates his wrath and his anger, even though it's in love and in grace, he is pursuing, he is bringing judgment to various degrees in real time and here we have a big question god is angry not my god god is a god of love he is a long-haired robe wearing shepherd that snuggles with sheep right and he's also a horrifying wrathful god that will bring judgment on disobedience it's both and and through love and driven by grace is god angry I don't know if you want to write this down, but here's the answer. Number one, God is angry. God is angry. There is anger, righteous, pure, holy anger in our God. God's anger is different than yours. Aren't aren't you glad? What is your anger like? I know what my anger is like. My anger is like unpredictable, blow up. My anger is like simmering under the surface, ready to snap, short, wicked. Do you know what God's anger is like? He's looking at millions of godless pagans that hate him and are destroying people, and he wants to send somebody to the rescue. God's anger, so slow burning, so patient. It's so different than ours. And God's wrath is satisfied through Jesus. We're going to see that in the rest of the book of Jonah, that we see a God that has poured out his wrath that it's coming soon to a Bible near you as you keep going forward from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you find out that there is a God that is willing to give His own Son, that there would be a satisfaction of the holy, righteous wrath, and that God would take it on Himself, that God's wrath is poured out on Jesus. That's what God does with His, with his wrath. We have here terrifying How bad it gets when a follower of the one true God grows cold, hard, rebellious, to the point that God's spokesman is saying, I'd rather die than obey you, God. His last call for these sailors to throw him overboard is one of, God, I could repent right now, and the the rage of the sea would stop. But instead, kill me. Kill me. I don't know if you've thought about this, but as you hopefully read through Jonah these next weeks, As he's going overboard, he's not saying, God, save me. He's flipping God off, saying, I'd rather die. I'd rather go down than bow the knee on this deck. And we have the choice. We have the option today to say, I'm not going to go to my grave defying my God, running away from him. I'm going to choose today. Today is the day. I'm going to say, on the deck, I'm bowing the knee. I'm not going over in destruction. Make this your prayer and make this your response. I am Jonah. God, help me. There's a God who controls the universe 
and you were meant to live for him and not for yourself. This world is broken by sin, and grace is your only hope. You need a savior. Jonah's life is a huge neon sign pointing you to Jesus. Jesus took every ounce of your rejection so that in your moments of confession, no matter how dark, you would never again see the back of God's head, only his face. You can run to God even when you don't have his heart and have failed again and again and again. Even though you're prone to run from God, he will never turn his back on you because of what Jesus has done for you. Your God is faithful when you are faithless. If you're not suffering now, you're near someone who is. If you're not suffering now, you will soon. And one of the reasons you will suffer is because he loves you. He will use that difficulty to soften your heart and to bring you to the end of yourself so that you would put your faith in him. Redemption is about the anger and grace of God coming together for your good, for your rescue, and for your forgiveness. This is grace. 